Hello and welcome to Nudge, the only podcast dedicated to helping you understand consumer psychology. Nudges are a fantastic way to influence consumer behaviour. We've talked in the past about how they make items on a menu seem more appealing, how nudges can encourage millions of people to pay their taxes on time, and how nudges can even convince people to become organ donors. But often these nudges optimise the path to an action, rather than encouraging the action in the first place. Think about buying a car. Yes, we can use nudges to encourage the buyer to purchase extra insurance or a sat-nav, but why does somebody want to buy a car in the first place? And from which brands will they seek that information? There's clearly an additional level beyond just heuristics and nudges that drives decisions. And according to my guest today, Phil Barden, that level is motivation. Phil wrote the best-selling book on consumer psychology, Decoded, and he states that motivation is the main driving force behind all human behaviour, yet marketers don't seem to have a great grasp on what actually causes motivation. In today's episode, Phil talks through how goals drive behaviour and what marketers need to know. Here's Phil talking about how he first came to learn and understand goal-driven behaviour. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. I thought I knew uh, why humans behave the way they did and why we bought brands because I've been brought up in a very, let's say, traditional uh, way with with a, a way of looking at the world and part of that was it's all about emotion emotions drive our behavior and if we can forge an emotional connection between uh, a consumer and our brand then that's it job done they they will buy our brand uh, and when i started working with the guys at decode who, who have come from science and academia so the founders uh, one of them was a, is a neuroscientist and the other is a cognitive psychologist. And I started giving them my world view. They, they looked quite bemused and said, but 
you're you're conflating several things, and that's actually not what we know about behaviour. I was quite shocked. They started to lay out their worldview, which was in in essence very simple. Science and academia are are pretty aligned around human behaviour being directed uh, goal achievement and, and goals being the core of any motivated behaviour. And, and, and they, they showed me many papers and many books that, that link this up. So a guy at, at Stanford who who's, is in the centre of advanced study in behavioural sciences talks about goals as the system units of human functioning. Uh, and there are books about goal-directed behaviour, uh, the psychology of goals, neurosciences looked at the, the neurobiology of, of what they call value-based decision-making. Um, and what they, what they explained to me was, look, humans need to achieve goals in order to survive. Uh, and those goals can be um, homeostatic, uh, sorry, homeostasis-based goals such as food. You know, we need, we need certain things to, to keep ourselves healthy and well. Uh, and functioning as as human beings but they also exist at a let's call it a higher level more social uh, psychological level so things like pride or belonging or self-esteem phil's explaining something neuroscientists call goal value the idea behind goal value is simple the more likely a product or service will help us achieve a goal the more we are prepared to pay. To showcase this, Phil explained a 2008 study cited in Decoded that monitored hungry people in a brain scanner. The hungry participants were asked to bid on certain items whilst laying in the brain scanner. Some items were food, such as a candy bar, and other items were non-food products. The finding was that hungry participants were willing to pay more for food essentially because the item helped them achieve their goal. That's the most simple explanation of goal-based valuation. Products and brands that offer the highest goal value, in other words, the highest likelihood of helping us achieve our goal, will end up being bought more. This explains what neuroeconomists refer to as the winner-takes-all effect. Only the number one brand in the consumer's goal ranking will be chosen. It's not sufficient to be number two or three or even in the consideration set. Products have to be number one. So even though I might like a quaint bookshop on the high street, I'm probably still more likely to buy the latest thriller from Amazon because they're guaranteed to have it and therefore more likely to achieve my goal. But what about emotions? How do they come into play? Marketers are told that emotions are key to driving behaviour. But is this the case? The other things these guys talked to me about was the role that this plays in in human behaviour. And what scientists always say is that evolution advanced on on behaviour. It didn't advance on emotion. Uh, And that's true. You know, behaviours that are um, pro-social or good for us or things that help us succeed we learn that they work. We learn um, which, which things that we do work and which don't. And the role that emotions play are like a feedback mechanism that tell us whether we're on track to achieve our goals or not. So, for example, if I'm playing a game of tennis 
uh, to win, not not just for fun. I, my goal is winning, uh, and I am winning. Then I get a feeling of happiness or uh, or excitement or joy or I just generally feel good, and that's feedback to me that I'm on track to achieve my goal of winning. If, on the other hand, I'm losing and my goal is winning, then the emotional feedback that I get is one of frustration uh, or sadness or just or irritation or, or maybe even anger that I'm losing. So it it helps me learn for the future. I need to then to then modify something in order to achieve my goal. I think this all starts to make a little bit more sense now. We don't buy a Porsche when we turn 50 because we're sad, but we probably buy a Porsche when we turn 50 because we realise we haven't achieved our childhood goals. Goals like wanting to become a rock star when you're growing up. And to help achieve that goal, we might end up buying a Porsche to try and feel like a rock star and ultimately to stop feeling sad. So emotions, that sadness, they won't direct behaviour, but they will reflect the goal that ultimately does direct behaviour. So what the scientists say is that emotions play an indirect role in behaviour by helping us learn for the future. And Carver and Shire, who are a world-famous psychologist, use the term, we experience emotions whenever the likelihood of achieving a goal changes. And that's that's a really interesting way to look at it because so many uh advertising briefs in particular talk about we want people to feel good or or we want people to feel joyful or happiness uh, or we want this ad to be a real tearjerker you know we need the point being we need to evoke an emotional response but the what the scientists and the academics say is yeah but that's fine but you can evoke an emotional response but but how does it link back to a motivation a motivating goal and how does it link back to the brand just just the fact that an ad makes you feel sad or happy uh, well there's many millions of things that can make you feel sad or happy but are they relevant are they relevant to your brand and this is where we come back to to goals we buy categories to help us achieve functional goals so I buy internet access or broadband because because I want internet access and I want fast fast access, uh, fast response, fast search, whatever it might be. Or I buy a detergent because I want clean clothes. I want my, the stains to be removed. I want the laundry to feel fresh and, and smell nice. And, and those, of course, are absolutely fundamental things that you have to achieve with your brand because if you don't, if you don't deliver at that level, you won't have a brand. You won't, have, you won't sell anything. And that's fine, but then how and why do I choose different brands? Because if all I'm buying is the functional aspect, then we'd all buy the same brand. You know, we would all buy the same detergent brand or brand of watch. You know, they all tell the time, right? Okay, so why doesn't everyone buy the cheapest watch? And that's because we've come to learn that different brands have a greater or lesser instrumentality or fit with goal achievement not just at the functional level but at this higher social psychological level and and this level is you could think about some sort of high level purpose or universal human needs our own personal values and self-identity or maybe 
social or emotional outcomes that are linked with using using the category. So coming back to the detergent example, I want clean clothes so that I feel like I've done my best for the family or I feel that I'm in absolute control and and I can I can deal with the washing in a very precise and logical way or I want something that gives me sensory pleasure uh, and mental relief and relaxation at a, at a job well done perhaps or even pride so those those can be very different uh, depending on the brand so you can see how brands whilst at a functional level can can deliver broadly very similar uh, goals at a at a higher social psychological level they can be very very different. I think this is really important for marketers. We now know that goals reveal why we buy one brand over another. We purchase a car because we want to drive from A to B and we choose a Volvo because we want to do that in the safest way possible. Or we choose a Porsche because we want to show our wealth. Both examples have the same functional goal of travel but a higher level goal relating to the individual's. For marketers to make the most of this insight, they need to shift their thinking away from the goals they want to achieve as marketers, or even the emotion they want their consumers to feel, and instead to think about the goal their customer wants to get done, or their goal their customer wants to achieve. Clayton Christian, the great Harvard University professor who sadly passed away earlier this year, explains this way of thinking in his 2009 article. He gives the example of a fast food restaurant wanting to increase sales of their milkshakes by improving the product. Initially, the restaurant followed the standard approach. They segmented their buyers into demographics and then quizzed customers on what features they desired the most at which price point. But unfortunately, all of the resulting improvements that they discovered did not have an impact on sales. This traditional way of doing things didn't work. The goal perspective changed the way the problem was approached. Instead of simply asking people what they wanted, the team tried to discover the goals behind the purchase. Through studying actual behaviour, not just asking what they wanted, they found a new clear goal. The milkshake was used to fill time and relieve commuters from boredom during long car journeys. These consumers were asked about substitute products they might buy to achieve the same goal. So sometimes these consumers bought a bagel or a donut instead. But actually, the milkshake does a much better job, not because it's tastier or or cheaper, but because it's thick and it takes a long time to consume, therefore alleviating the boredom for longer. This goal-based analysis revealed a huge amount of potential product developments and improvements. So for example, they decided to make the milkshake thicker and the straws thinner to make it last longer, and then to include some chunky ingredients to add an element of surprise to alleviate that boredom even more over a longer period. Now most of us would fail to notice these huge potential improvements because we focus on emotions or on business results over consumer goals, but if we focus on those consumer goals we can discover some really effective improvements that all of us can make. And this explains relevance and distinctiveness in categories. Brands that are the most relevant are the ones that own the the category goals the best. They have the highest fit. Uh, And brands that are distinctive also own those those particular goals uniquely compared to to, uh, competitors. And it helps explain brand share. 
in in a way that that I'd never seen before, and it, it's it's really exciting because if you focus on the goal delivery and the goal association, then everything else falls into place, and that's why you, we need to be really careful that we link emotion and motivation. And motivation is based on goal achievement because we we all know examples where people love the ads but they don't sell anything. Budweiser's puppy love ad from the 2015 Super Bowl was a really good example that the brand VP just after it went out said we basically won the Super Bowl. We had the most Facebook likes ever, it was the most retweeted alcoholic beverage ad ever. And you'd think that would be hugely successful. It had it had Labrador puppies and horses. I mean, wow, you know, people went nuts about it. But the same guy, 11 months later, uh, in an interview, said that while everybody loved the puppies, they have zero impact on beer sales. And, and he was quoted as saying, those ads I wouldn't air again because they don't sell beer. So we need to be careful that when we are briefing for emotionally arousing communication, it's not the be all and end all. We still need to understand the motivational part of this. And that's where goal achievement comes in. Phil gives a great example of goal achievement in Decoded, his book. In the book, he talks about the success of the Dove Natural Beauty campaign. Now, this campaign featured women of all colours and sizes in their underwear, smiling because they've used Dove's skincare products. The ad was so successful that Dove run variants of the same ad campaign for over 10 years. Now, most ads have a half-life of around a month or two, but this was running for 10 years. However, something interesting happened when the team applied the same idea to their hair care products. They used the same slogans, the same models, and focused on hair quality instead of skin quality. But these campaigns bombed. They didn't perform well at all. Goal value helps us understand why. According to Phil, the skincare ads achieve a goal of relief. Not the relief one gets from a confession, but rather the relief from having to be constantly controlled or to optimise oneself. It's also the relief of knowing that you're not alone. That's a goal that consumers looked for in skincare products. But hair products are a whole different realm. With hair products, consumers' main goal is transformation. Hair can be dyed, curled, straightened, and transformed into something beautiful and different. Producing an advert for a hair product with the goal of relief wasn't aligned with the consumer's goals, so it obviously didn't work. But how about emotion? How important is it in advertising? And when should we use it? If we come back to emotion, and and I said the role that emotion plays in helping us understand whether we're on track uh, to meeting our goals or not, there is, of course, another another way in which emotional emotion can help us because we we've learned from uh, especially Les Bennett and Peter Field's work with the IPA effectiveness data bank that so-called emotional advertising has bigger and longer-lasting business effects than so-called rational advertising. When you ask the scientists about this, their 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 answer is very simple because when um, an ad evokes an emotional response it has a head start against ads that don't and it has a head start for the following reasons because when we evoke an emotional response particularly when we get uh, arousal or, or activation 
our attention span increases and our senses are sharpened to more deeply process the thing that's caused the emotional arousal. And this goes back millions of years. This is an evolutionary response to something in our environment that could be uh, dangerous to us or, or could be exciting and rewarding to us. And it makes perfect sense. You know, when if I see a snake in the grass, I'm absolutely going to get tunnel vision and focus on that snake and, and where it's going and what it's doing because my survival depends on it. Uh, and not only that, I will increase, uh, it increases the memory encoding and recall of that situation and that thing so that when I'm next in that particular area, I will absolutely remember uh, that I saw a snake in the grass. Emotional ads essentially get a head start because they're just more likely to capture attention. Now, this might not come as a surprise. We've referenced studies in the past that show that adverts that make respondents laugh have a noticeably higher recall. Or ads like Coracell's missing tooth campaign evoke fear. So again, we're far more likely to recall it and, and, and actually pay attention to it in the first place. But the goal is not just to evoke emotion. It's to link that emotion back to the goal the buyer wants to achieve. Fail to do this and you'll just be replicating Budweiser's expensive Super Bowl ads with all of the retweets, all of the likes, but none of the sales. But what about some examples of successful ads that follow this framework using both goal value and emotion effectively? Here's Phil talking about the winner of the prestigious IPA award, Aldi's Clown Proof ad, and specifically how this ad effectively demonstrated and used goal value. And we, we were invited by Walk last year to test uh, using this model some of the IPA effectiveness award winners uh, to help understand why they, why they won. And we, we looked at them through two lenses. One, one is the emotional uh, engagement. So as I said, uh, as I said before, if, if, a, if an ad can evoke an emotional response, it gives it a head start. But it's very important that we understand that the, the brand or the product plays an instrumental role in that, in, in the ad, that it, that it plays an instrumental role in evoking the emotion in a credible way as well. And that it's not just bolted on or, or a bit of a logo slap at the end. The other was the motivation lens. So does the, um, does the ad have an instrumental link between the brand and relevant goals? Um, and does the communication stage the brand as a means to the end, to this end? So using the value chain idea again, with this brand, you can do, have, be, or become X, Y, Z. One thing they all had in common was a, a high degree of emotional engagement and things like entertaining or pleasant, funny, distinctive, surprising, involving, delightful, exciting, happiness and joy. Uh, and they all had very, very low associations with negative valence uh, emotions. So things like angry or sad or annoying or irritating or boring or disturbing. So that, that was one thing they all had in common. But if you, you know, if you had stopped there and just said, well, do they evoke an emotional response and is it positive valence? Yes, they, they all do. That's great. That's good to know. It's also good to know what they don't activate. But that's only part of the part of the equation. So when we looked at 
the motivation part. We measured the goals using the goal model. And, and that was really insightful then. So if we take the, the Audi clownproof ad, people remember it. It was um, a guy driving an Audi through the streets in various situations and having to keep out of danger and out of trouble, which was caused by vehicles being driven by clowns. Uh, and clowns, of course, were, were a wonderful metaphor for all the idiots around us on the road who do stupid things. What was really interesting was that the, the one goal uh, that scored highest uh, in terms of implicit associations and that ad is control. Now, when you think about it, control in, a, in an ad brief could be perceived as being really boring. Now, I want, I want to brief the creatives. It's all about control. I'm like, how are they going to do that? But, of course, what they did brilliantly was demonstrate control using, using the creative device of the clouds. And indeed, some of, the, um, some of the other strong implicit associations that came through in the ad were to do with the clouds. So things like adventure, and this is what was going on on the road as well, but also creativity um, and inspiration came through strongly. And they were, they were followed by security-related goals, things like safety and protection and security and reassurance. This is what the technology delivered. Ultimately, if I drive an Audi with these particular bits of kit that give me control, then I feel protected, I feel reassured, I feel secured, and I feel safe. So there were some really strong indications in there that, that not only had they, the agency, BBH, brought the brief of control to life brilliantly with this, this creative device of clowns, but that, that had been decoded by the brain as uh, showing very strong instrumentality with some, some key goals. Successful adverts don't just influence the path to a purchase, they influence the purchase in the first place. Aldi's clown-proof ad grabbed our attention with its humour, but also revealed how it helped customers achieve their own goals of staying in control, ruling the road, and driving better than others. This approach, this effective use of emotion and goal value, actually worked. Sales grew three times faster than the rest of the UK market, lifetime customer value increased by 6%, an estimated 1.7 billion of incremental value was generated, and Aldi actually recorded its highest ever profit that year. With this model, you can start to figure out what makes some ads more successful and hopefully apply the same ideas to your work, whether it's a multi-million dollar ad campaign you're working on or simply a marketing strategy for a local business, this will work. A massive thank you to Phil Barden for joining me today. He's a real legend in consumer psychology space and his book, Decoded, I think is a real must-read for anyone looking to change consumer behaviour with marketing. I've put links to both Phil's book and his agency in the show notes below. So if you want to get in touch with him, you can do so there. If you've enjoyed the show and you definitely don't want to miss the next show, then sign up to my email mailing list by clicking the link in the show notes. If you do that, I'll send you an email every single time a new show goes live and you'll get my personal email address as well. So if you want to ask me any questions about the show or, or anything else, you can do so there. 
One final thing for me, if you're enjoying the show or if you have some feedback, please do leave a review on Apple Podcast. I'd love to know what you think. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Nudge. Thank you.